Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, technological tinkerers. Whether you're chipping away on a project in the workshop or maybe you're on your way to somewhere or perhaps you're enjoying some well-earned relaxation time in your happy place. Congratulations on landing fair and square on Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. It's our weekly opportunity to take a sneak peek into the possibilities of the world of tomorrow. And here, wearing his digital tool belt loaded up with the latest gadgetry and with a virtual pencil tucked behind his ear, all geared up for the first class futuristic tinkering that he's got for us today, it's Matthew Dickerson. What's been going on in your world, Matthew? Well, a lightning bolt has been going on. Not an idea I've had, not saying some revelation. Right. Literally a lightning bolt. And my wife's finally said, maybe having a house that's fully electronic and home automation, all sorts of things is great. Except when we have lightning bolts here. I've got so many things fried <laughs> oh, in my house at the moment. No. A lightning bolt. <laughs> I've got some great vision of the yeah. lightning bolt hitting in our front yard, which is fantastic watching on CCTV, but you don't realise how many things that affects and just that surge of voltage. And you can have all the surge protectors you like. And mm. actually, the, the things that were behind battery backup units, they were fine. I've sometimes lost battery backup units before when we've had some sort of surge, and you feel like they're sacrificial. So that's mm. okay. But Things behind them all survive this time, but things in front of them, oh, just oh, so many no. strange things. And it's interesting the level that it went to. So some things just blew up. So that's fine. I get that. But other things, part blew up. So I've got switches now that might be a 16-port switch where <laughs> six ports don't work, but the other 10 work fine. They're all working normally. Right. So it's just all these sort of random little things Nothing's there. become possessed at all. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's happened, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, so the lightning's brought with it these yeah, evil gremlins that have just started tinkering inside your um, your electrics. It does feel a bit like that. It feels like <laughs> that. And we're discovering extra things as you go along. I actually thought... Yeah, I can imagine this, this could be weeks' worth of work for you, like just discovering a new thing that you've you've lost or whatever. Yeah. It was working fine. And again, that partial part, this, this thing's like the garage door is still working fine, but the trigger for the garage door is not working fine. So then getting that part fixed, oh. which is all part of the one unit so there's lots of little things so it's one of those things you put all the protection in place you put surge protectors in place you do all the things you think are right but sometimes nature when nature says you know what i look at your surge protectors and i laugh all the way (laughs) (laughs) as i'm zapping you with some lightning but this is the risk we've got when we rely on electronics so much and that used to be one of the great things with the old valves in computers is that they were able to handle some of these great shocks much better than say semiconductors Mm. or Transistors on semiconductors. We're not going back to valves. <laughs> no, but, but there are some devices that still run on and valves, so they are protected against this sort of surge. Some. So it sounds like you've got a month worth of projects ahead. Of oh you. yeah, Little I think projects. so. I'm Just trying problem to solving. You're going to love this detective work. <laughs> That's right. It is a bit like that. I'm going through trying to find all the bits and pieces, and then go and get those new pieces ordered and just yeah it's a process and a half so anyway, you're not heading back to log cabin living well that's what my wife suggested can we just go back to <laughs> if it was just a little times. gas sort of light that you just sat in the middle of the kitchen it wouldn't have been affected by a lightning bolt would it so let's go back to those days so anyway fun and games uh indeed you've got a lot ahead of you okay listeners we've got a bit of an odd one for you to kick off uh well to, for us to kick off with today and it's one for the fans of screen technology Now, LG has a new OLED TV out. This one is wireless, which is not entirely revolutionary. But get this, it's also transparent. 
People, transparent TV is about to become a thing. Matt, what the hell is all this about? Why? Why? Transparent TV. <laughs> I'm confused. I was trying to rack my brains to think, okay, great, this is fantastic technology because normally you'd have a screen on a TV and behind the screen where you can't see is a bunch of electronics and then a, a black piece of plastic across the back that you'll never see through. Well, this is right because you want to watch a picture that is changing that has a full screen of picture. Correct. So then LG said, hmm, let's make it transparent. Now, I'm, I'm sure part of it is a flex. This yeah. is being shown at the moment at CS in Las Vegas. And sometimes I th- I'm convinced that some of these manufacturers say, look at ours, it's better than yours. Mm. And a transparent TV, no one else has a transparent TV. But then why, why, why? And I was thinking about a whole range of things. Well, sometimes on those detective shows on TV, you'll see a big screen in the middle of the room that yeah. has a bunch of information and they draw lines on it and lots of things happen yeah. on it and, and it gets connected. Iron Man loves to play with his computer that you can see through and all that sort of stuff. All those yeah. things. All those are fake on TV. But now, of course, with a transparent TV, they could be set up to be real. I did think maybe, I was trying to think of practical purposes for this. I was struggling a bit, but I thought maybe retailers, sometimes a retail shop has a glass front and then inside the glass front, they've yeah. got some sort of electronic display board, i.e. a TV. Then this way you can have it all built into one. You wouldn't well, have to need to have the window and the TV. I had to watch the video of it um, because I had to really work out what it was all about. And I can see it's, there's a place. Uh, so a lot of screens now have artworks. that they When, when the TV's sitting idle, it'll put up an artwork. So it looks like a frame painting now. Mm. Well, instead of having a frame painting, they've got a moving picture that looks like it's just sitting there on your wall, but it's moving and you can still see the wall behind it. I don't know why you can still see the wall behind it. The one that really gets me is it's also got a motorised backplate that pops up in place to make it appear, guess what, like, like a normal a TV. TV. Yeah. <laughs> but Very it is good. fascinating technology, <laughs> and that's really what they're showing off here. They've got all the electronics, everything that drives that screen is built mm. into the base of it. So the base is a little bit larger than you'd normally see on a normal TV. And then the picture is obviously fed through the edges of the screen. And again, fascinating technology. But so we always talk about this as well. Like We might not be able to think of what it would be used for right now, someone later on will come up with an idea and go, oh, this is ideal for... And then we'll say, how do we live without... Remember those days before transparent TVs? (laughs) I can't believe I lived in those times. (laughs) So it's fascinating. Look, well done to LG. It is fascinating technology. I'm impressed with the specs and the features of this as a TV in general. Yeah. The transparency is pretty fancy mm. don't know about the practicalities of it pretty fancy so well done, well done to LG and again let's keep developing technology what the heck for technology's sake for the sake of exploration that's right and I just wonder whether this TV would handle a lightning strike the AI revolution is now well and truly underway like it or not For some, it's rapidly become a tool that has made some onerous tasks smooth and quickly completed. For some Luddites, well, they've paid no mind to it at all. But for some, there is a growing fear that the end of days is nigh. Regardless if you think you've got through 2023 without any AI influence, you probably didn't and you almost definitely won't get through 2024 AI-free. It's an area of tech that is growing fast, but Matt... Can you allay people's discomfort? Is AI an adversary or an ally? And is it likely to outsmart us anytime soon? 
Well, the latest survey that was taken of 2,700 AI researchers is not going to make people feel comfortable. No. So if you're squeamish about AI, skip forward to the next story. Yeah, right, which is probably about AI. I think it is actually, yeah. <laughs> so of those 2,700, and these are people that have their heads buried in AI all day, every day. So these are people who not just go, oh yeah, I used it once. These mm. are people who are researching it, who are building it. So the people who have got a fair bit of knowledge around AI, 5% of those people believe that AI will lead to the extinction of humans. <laughs> right. So that's so, a bad place to start. Okay. So we're not allowing any fears at all. None at all. Let's at all. feed it. 58% <laughs> of those people believe that there will be some sort of catastrophic outcome as a result of AI. So not human extinction, but maybe okay, a, a so world Okay, so 5% war. are about the extinction, yep. 58% are about something terrible is going to happen. Something pretty bad is going to happen. Now, when you look at the abilities that AI has got, the belief from these researchers is that about the year 2047 is when AI will surpass human abilities. Mm. So we're still around at that age. We might be in an aged care facility talking about the good old days mm -hmm. before AI, yep. and there'll probably be an AI bot looking after us, James. So yeah, down in the bunker. That's, that's right. So 2047 <laughs> is the year that AI will have our capabilities. By the year 2116, so we're pretty much gone by then, or maybe depending on how technology goes, but let's assume it's current technology, Full automation of human jobs by the year 2116. 70% wow. of researchers, and I absolutely agree with this one, believe that AI is a bit worrisome in terms of economic inequality. The haves will have more, the have-nots mm. will have less because AI will actually help the haves have more. So that's a bit of an issue. The next thing that we'll see AI play a really big role in, I think, will be the US election. So 2024, mm. US election... And how that plays out in terms of AI playing into that, I think will be really interesting. I think whichever candidate gets their head around how to use AI the best will probably be the winning candidate. Not the candidates that's the best candidate or going to do the best thing for America, but the candidate that gets their head America's around probably AI. better off just going to a raffle for their elections. <laughs> just, you know. Are you saying you couldn't have got worse than Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, uh, damned if they do, damned if they don't. They can't have elections anymore. They can't be trusted with elections. There's that great movie that had Robin Williams in it where – there was a mistake made with electronic voting, so we'll be ahead of, the, of this time. <laughs> but there was a genuine mistake made, and someone who went in as a joke, as in they were a comedian, oh, they, yeah. they stood for election as a joke, got elected. But what I found fascinating about that, it was a very funny movie, but what was fascinating was once that person who entered the race as a joke and was doing it to basically boost some of their comedic output and probably their profile as well, once they were president, suddenly they went, oh, I'm president, and they took on a very serious role and suddenly they changed their whole demeanour from being mm. a comedian to being a serious person. So if you did do a raffle and some random person became the president, then maybe they would become suddenly a bit more serious about it all and do a better job than maybe some past people. <laughs> all right, we've taken a different tack here, but well, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So be scared of AI is the bottom line. <laughs> And yes, we are still on the AI theme, folks, uh, feared or not. But hang on, here's one for the good guys. The New York Times has taken open AI to court with claims that ChatGPT has been plagiarising its stories and breaching copyright. 
Like a naughty student who's cheated on assignment, ChatGPT has been caught. Matt, is this all legit? (laughs) It does seem like a he said, she said. Most people understand that ChatGPT is out there scouring the web, collecting information and using that information as it produces output for you and I when we ask simple questions of it. So that's the basic understanding that most people have. People are concerned that maybe it regurgitates word for word some other information that might be written. So, for example, a newspaper writes an article, mm. here's all this factual information, well-researched, a journalist is being paid money to go and do a great job, and then someone asks ChatGPT a question and it reproduces that word for word. Well, hold on, that wasn't you who did that. That was mm. a particular newspaper, and the newspaper wants you to go to their site because they're selling advertising on their site, and they want you to be reading the story knowing that that journalist actually wrote the story. So there's a bit of an issue where ChatGPT will get its information from, and then various newspapers say, well, if you're going to keep using our data sources and people that we're paying to produce this, then you should give us some compensation for that. And it seems like and I don't know where the answer is, but it seems like a bit of a setup is what ChatGPT is saying because ChatGPT has been reproducing some New York Times stories verbatim. And ChatGPT or OpenAI is saying, no, that's being manipulated by the Times to demonstrate that. Uh. Can you show us just a random question that is asked of a story that might be in the New York Times and it regurgitates that word for word? No, you can't show us that. Nonetheless, they've sued OpenAI. Sorry, so they're saying that ChatGPT, sorry, after ChatGPT has published some information, the New York Times have retrospectively gone onto their site and changed their story to match. No, I think what OpenAI is saying that they've worded questions in a certain way to uh, basically get the okay, story word gotcha. for word, right. but they also haven't been able to show how you can repeat that over and over. And, yeah, okay. You know, your science that's, background that's would right. say one of the critical things. about repeatability. That's right. If you're going to say that it does this, when show it, that it does it every single time. So I think it's a bit of a put on by the New York Times to illustrate a major concern, which is mm. that ChatGPT is collecting information from the New York Times. I think what New York Times would be happy with is pay us some money and then sure, you can go along and do that. Now, keep in mind that website owners can choose to block open AI's web crawlers. That's been available since August 2023. So really, if you're the New York Times, you could say, no, I'm going to block your crawlers to come through Mm. my site and you're not going to have access to that information. So this is where open AI is saying, we're putting things in place to stop accessing information. It's not going to regurgitate it word for word. So we think you're just having a lend of us. New York Times obviously taking a different tack. I don't know what the final answer will be. And imagine being a judge in a situation like this. You would need to be a computer programmer, really, yeah. to get your head wrapped around it when you start getting presented with algorithms on how open AI works and then look at what New York Times is doing. It's not just a simple, oh, she said that about me and he said this. It's getting into the nitty gritty of how open AI actually works. And I don't think they want to give away that information easily. So they want oh, wow. that to be kept pretty secretive. This, this does sound like a schoolyard squabble in a big way. And. There are high stakes at uh, play here, so you can't just brush it off and say, oh, look, both of you go and sit in the corner. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think you're right. It's it's a schoolyard a squabble with billions of dollars at stake and a huge precedent for the rest of the world. So mm. a schoolyard squabble with some implications long-term, I think. So Either it's way, both parties are getting big-time publicity. Yeah, they are. Exactly right. Now, two-thirds of the planet is covered with water, and all but a little of that is ocean. 
Sadly, because of the sheer volume, for the longest time, the ocean has been somewhat of a dumping ground for post-19th century refuse. It's home to enormous volumes of non-biodegradable waste, endangering the lives of marine organisms who commonly mistake it for food or get tangled up with it, Um, and it's just a major problem, folks. The clean-up is a mammoth task, and merely scooping up the trash stands to kill a lot of biota along with it. But developments in robotics may have made this job more practical. The question is, through all the mess, how can a robot tell the difference between garbage and that poor trapped little critter, Matt? And one of the things I think about robots is they're really good at repeating the same manoeuvre over and over and over. Mm. I think of a car manufacturing plant and you see the robot and it goes and puts a spot weld on those two bits of metal. And it knows exactly where that spot weld has got to go. And it's going to be accurate, it's going to be repeatable and you're going to have confidence that it's done the same standard every time, Mm. not a manual welder who does it a bit and then gets a bit distracted or is not feeling great that day. Mm. So that's where robots seem to have their strength. Do that over and over and over and over and over, everything's great. You go and clean up something like the ocean, and exactly you said, sure, we can get some sort of machine to scoop up the ocean with rubbish in it, but it'll also scoop up a whole bunch of other yeah. fish and various things in in the ocean Anything there. Birds, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything that's there. Yep. So how do you work out the difference? Now, there is this thing called the magneto-elastic effect. It's a change in the magnetic field of a material when pushed or pulled. Now, typically that's been on metals, but scientists have now got to the point where that same effect is on a soft polymer. What they've done with that, and this might be one of those examples where they go, hey, look at this, we've got the magneto-elastic effect on a soft polymer, big deal. Well, someone's now applied that to a robotic arm. Now, when it actually touches something that's live, it knows the difference between that and when it touches something that's an inanimate object. So it's going along in the ocean, scooping along, and it touches a water bottle. I know what that is. It's not a living creature. In you come. Touches something that is a living creature. Oh, that's got a different effect. I'll just leave that where it be. So in terms of ocean cleanup, a fantastic application of that. Again, very clever technology. But this is where we're going to get to with robots. We need to get better functionality out of robots for them to be able to come and do well, my Well, traditionally washing. they've used cameras to be able to spot things and then the uh, computer has got to decide whether or not the thing that it's spotted is, you know, say, living or rubbish. That's or right. So when I've got a robot cleaning up rubbish around my house, I want it to make sure that when it picks up a baby doll... It knows it's different <laughs> to my baby. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, yes. And that's where something like this would be absolutely perfect. So as it goes around the house cleaning up, it can pick up the difference between a living and a not living creature. Your dog, your baby, humans, whatever it might be, you want to be able to pick the difference from that. So it's quite a clever usage of this technology, but absolutely using an ocean cleanup to start with is a great place to start for it. Yeah, fantastic. Now, driving at night comes with a number of perils, not least of all, the glare from oncoming headlights. But have you noticed that the new LEDs tend to have a little bit more glare than older models with their halogen headlights? Some of those LED headlights are dazzling to say the very least, even on low beam. Now, Matt, Lis- uh, Nissan thinks that it might have a suitable answer to the problem. It does. And I want to talk a little bit more about lights before we go into Nissan's solution. One of the things I find fascinating for a start is you're driving along and you forget to dim your headlights for Mm. just a a fraction, not 
too long, but you do it, and the person at the other end has already dimmed theirs, and then you remember to dim yours. And then they get a few metres away from you, and they turn their lights back yeah. on high beam. And I think, so what do they want to achieve? Is, <laughs> is that it, It's obviously saying, up yours, or basically, I'll show your lesson. Yeah. But I might be so dazzled that I run into their car. Like I just, I've yeah. never really understood the logic of doing that. But, but some cars drive along, and their low beam seems like high beam. <laughs> You're right. Sometimes you'll drive along, you'll flash the person, at a distance because you think they're no, on high beam. Well, I'll show you what my high beam looks like then. <laughs> right. You call that a high beam? I'll show you a high <laughs> beam. I love to try and use the automatic high beam on various vehicles that I've driven over the yeah. years. And some are okay. I've never found one that I say this is this is nailed. Yeah. There are some that I'll drive along and you'll see a, a large sign that tells you about something that's coming up or yeah. slow down or whatever. And some high beam gets enough reflection off that that it thinks there's a car coming. Mm. So it turns its lights down and mm. then it realises... There's no car there, so it turns the lights up. And then it reflects off the sign. It turns the lights off. Yeah, and it's like you're flicking the lights on. Yeah, I, was right. saying, I know exactly what you're talking about there. That's one. And then there's a, a, another one, of course, where it just doesn't turn them down early enough. So that's when the person flashes you a few metres before you get to them. And then, of course, sometimes it goes down way too early. So the high beams out there don't seem to be working that well. Now, you haven't got a lot of time before you actually get in trouble in terms of the, the distance there. If, for example you're travelling 110 kilometres an hour on a, on a motorway that's got 110 and the person coming at you is 110, then you're reducing the distance between the two of you 61 metres per second. Now, mm. I didn't realise this, but the road rules in New South Wales stipulate that you must dim your headlights when a vehicle coming towards you is within 200 metres. Mm. Now, I'm sure I knew that many years ago when I had to do my driver's licence test, but 200 metres... When you've got two people approaching or two cars approaching at 61 metres per second, you've only got 3.3 seconds from the time that it's now 200 metres to the time the person's on top of you. So if you miss that mark by half a second or so, then that can be when someone gets a bit annoyed about it all and technically yeah. you've broken the law. So this is all a bit of a problem. What do we do about it? And you're spot on. The lights are getting better from a vision perspective than they ever were before. And if you run through some of the Also, they're just more efficient. LED lights are much more efficient. That's right. If you go back, there's a bit of a history of lights there. Obviously, first of all, you had some acetylene lamps or oil lamps that used to be hung on a carriage. Mm. And that was probably to say, (laughs) I'm coming along rather than you'd be able to see much there. But the first electric headlamp was back in 1898 on, ironically, the electric vehicle company. Ah. They made electric vehicles back in 1898. 1912, Cadillac was the first mass-produced car with electric lights. Then we went to sealed beam headlights in the 40s, halogen headlights in the 60s, high-intensity discharge in the 90s, and then LEDs came out this century. So they are fantastic. They've got greater brightness, greater flexibility, value for money, all sorts of wonderful things, but they are bright. Now, what mm. Nissan, getting on to Nissan now, when you talk about your intro there, what Nissan are doing, and other companies are doing something similar, but I think Nissan are the most advanced at this stage, is saying, well, you know what? We've got so much flexibility with LED headlights, we don't need to worry about high beam, low beam. That's so yesterday. What we can do is we can create a shadow. And what they're doing with LED lights is using a com- combination of uh, physical obstruction, so something that actually blocks the light, and changing the LEDs, and you've got lots of LEDs, so you can turn ones on and off, and actually moving the LEDs. So as a car approaches, it's basically reading the glare of that car and realising there's a vehicle or a person over there. So I'll create a shadow, and that shadow will change 
as that car approaches. Because obviously, oh, wow. the car at 200 metres away yeah. is a different focal point to yeah. a car from 20 metres away. All the angles change as you're approaching. That's right. And the critical part here is that what you're trying to do is increase the vision for you as much as possible. Now, when you consider that 25% of our driving is at night, but 33% of car crashes occur at night, 50% of driver fatalities occur at night and mm. 75% of pedestrian deaths occur at night, mm. then obviously night vision is a big issue. And when you go onto low beam on many cars, you think, well, I slow down actually because I just go, I can't see well enough. Mm. And even off to the left-hand side of the road, we've got kangaroos where we live. That's right. So they can be nicely sitting on the side of the road and you don't see them until they're on your bonnet, literally. So the idea here is that we'll get to the stage maybe five years away where you just drive along You'll leave your, leave your lights on and the lights will change their footprint, their shadowing, so that you'll get great vision down the left-hand side of the road in Australia, right-hand side in America. Down the left-hand side of the road, you'll get great vision. You'll still be able to see those kangaroos. You'll still see the road ahead clearly, but on the right-hand side, as the cars approach, that shadow will change shape as that car approaches. Amazing. It does Amazing. sound fascinating, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and LEDs give you this flexibility. They've got a very sharp delineation between light and dark so they can change that very easily rather than just a general bleed of light you can have that very clear line between yes light no no light and then once the car goes past it goes back to full vision across the road again we've had a couple of stories about headlight technology and where that's going this is the first one that i really that's been really really impressive i think this is a great idea yeah we've got ones that Go around corners and go, turn yeah, and all go, sorts of things. Or, um, and there was one where it projects things like street signs onto the road in front of you and that. Yeah, that's a, a nice idea. That's right. Nice little trickery. But this is really impressive. But this is getting to the point where night vision, night driving, and particularly as people get older, I've heard people who are a bit older than us who say they don't like driving at night anymore because it's too hard to see. Yeah, things are a bit harder to see. Too dazzling. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Hmm. Well, it feels like a while since we last had a story about AI, so let's get back onto that subject. Voice control is becoming a regular feature in recent models of cars. It's a novel alternative to turning on wipers, or sorry, for turning on wipers and adjusting the air conditioning or what have you. But Volkswagen is upping the ante and kicking off conversational cruising with ChatGPT riding shotgun. Matt, chit-chatting with AI in the morning commute, am I right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And it does feel like that sometimes you're having a conversation with ChatGPT and it feels like a normal conversation with a human. Now, <laughs> Volkswagen, we know, had their Dieselgate scandal. They had a focus on taking down Toyota as the number one manufacturer in the world. Mm. And they did that by cheating or that was their first attempt. I actually think they're getting a lot of things right now. They've got a lot of their electric vehicles right. And this is a, another step in the direction of really saying we want to make ourselves stand out. We tried the cheating concept, didn't go so well. <laughs> now we just want to be better than everyone else. Mm. Now, some people would argue that you've got your phone in your car and you've got the ability with your phone mm. to talk to Siri. You or get your maps up. You yeah, can, all sorts um, of things there. The music, but there's just something nice about jumping in your car and not worrying about any connection with your phone or not touching your phone because you don't want to do that while you drive mm. and just have a conversation. Now, you're right. You can talk to your car and you can make things happen. You can open your glove box or do various things. But what VW is doing is they're saying, well, let's make it just like your phone or at home where you can 
talk to it and get information. So you want some fashion advice. You're on your way to a dinner and you think, should I need a, a jacket at this? Do I, can I get some fashion advice? What music? I'm, mm. I'm on my way to a football match. And, topics. That's right. I want to rev myself up for this footy match that I'm going to. What music would you select? And, of course, then you can let the car select it for you. But it's just another part of our lives where we'll just have – general conversation with mm. AI and think that it's all normal and everything's okay. I'll feel a bit lonely when I go for a ride in a push bike and I go, well, who do I chat to? There's no AI to chat to there. I can have my headphones on and listen to some music maybe, but you just get to the stage where you expect it in your house, you expect it from your phone, you're now expect it in your car. Yeah. But there's all these things that manufacturers are trying to do to get ahead, whether it be headlights like Nissan in the last story or this with V-Dub where they're working on integrating all of this into the car. The idea really is that you don't want to have to think about it. And that's the good part about it. You don't have to connect mm. your phone. You just get in and it will work. This is all assuming, of course, that your car is connected to the outside world via some sort of data connectivity, which many cars are coming with now, many electric cars in particular, so you can control them remotely. And I, I lent my car to a friend the other day. They just had to go for a quick trip. And they came back and I said, oh, I got a speed warning on my phone that you'd gone ah. over the speed limit. <laughs> oh, really? Where was that at? And I said, oh, well, at 11, 17 a.m. <laughs> and I wasn't ever thinking about the fact that I was stalking them, but uh, I'd forgotten about it. Next thing you know, an alert pops up my phone to tell me that my car was being driven too fast. So <laughs> it just becomes a bit norm that you've got that integrated into your normal lives. So. Yeah. Yeah. Chat GPT in our cars. We are not going to get away from AI, James. Well, someone um, at uh, Volkswagen was obviously a big fan of Knight Rider back in 1984 <laughs> and David Hasselhoff. That's right. And the Germans love David Hasselhoff, I understand. Yeah, that's so right. So there, well, there you go. go. This so was only natural. It was only a matter of time. It all makes sense now. Thank you. In a development that's more like a – or more – more than just a keystroke of genius, shall I say, Microsoft is redefining our interaction with technology. And by that we mean they've been messing with the buttons on the keyboard. Matt, what have Microsoft done now to move us into the next phase? And there's a theme to today's episode. It does seem to be, doesn't it? I didn't mean it to be, sorry. Not at all, not at all. We're loving this. But it seems like a simple thing. An extra key on the keyboard, big deal. Who cares about that? But the key is an important one. It's an AI key. So from February this year, you go and buy a new Windows 11 PC, assuming that it hasn't been sitting in that particular retailer for too long, then it will have an AI key on the keyboard and that will give you access to, surprisingly enough, Copilot, part of Microsoft's offering, which mm -hmm. is basically linked in with ChatGPT, and Copilot helps you with things in Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel, or just asking information, basically giving you complete and easy access to your ChatGPT background there. So this is the 2024 version of the paperclip? <laughs> is that right? A good For old clippy. people who are clippy? Uh, hopefully it's better than clippy. <laughs> hopefully right. it doesn't go the way of clippy. Well, maybe with our first predictions about where AI will take us, maybe it should go away like clippy. But <laughs> I think this is right. This is the 2024 version of clippy. You've got the ability just to access it straight off the bat and become part of your general usage. And I think that's where Microsoft's headed. They're probably cheating a little bit there by integrating into the keyboard, but they want you to be just integrated day mm. in, day out with ChatGPT so it becomes natural. So you couldn't possibly think of going to any other operating system. Why would I consider a Mac when I've got ChatGPT built into my keyboard on mm. my Windows PC? So it's an interesting world in terms of where they're going. And there's lots of this jostling back and forth. And I know we talked about last week that quantum computing may well be 
the the theme of 2024, but at the moment it still feels like a lot of AI, doesn't it? Well, and listen, with all these different versions of AI, maybe they're going to get in a big blue with each other and um, destroy themselves. <laughs> maybe. As long as it doesn't take us a long That's right. <laughs> Now, as we mentioned before, conversational AI is set to become part of the motoring experience. Well, perhaps there's potential, therefore, to offset road rage incidents, which have become such an unfortunate and unnecessary part of modern traffic. AI now has the capacity to offer some degree of therapy. It's called Character AI, and it's a new software package designed to support mental health in a time when it's so desperately needed, Matt. Well, it is desperately needed, and to get into a psychologist, or a psychiatrist these days, I've got a friend who's a psych, and he said that his books are basically a waiting list of two or three months. People can't always wait two or three mm. months to go and see someone or talk to someone. If you do go to character.ai, there are 475 bots there that have got therapy-related titles. So you can go and create your own bot on character.ai. And again, 475 bots focused on that. They're getting things like three and a half million visitors per day to mm. character.ai. Now, they're not all focused on therapy ones, but it's quite incredible. One psychologist bot, for example, has been created in November last year. They've had 78 million messages on that particular psychologist bot. Wow. So there's a significant number of people who are out there using these. Now, the idea is a bit like a conversation. They're focused on your mental health. You go and start asking questions. You talk about how you're feeling. And for some people, I actually think that would be preferable. Some people, as much as you're going to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and they say, this is all confidential, and unless you go out there and you're at risk of harming yourself or someone else, Everything that stays, it says in this room, stays within this room. Some people would still feel like, are you sure you're not going to mm. mention this story at the pub and yeah. take out my name? So they might feel a bit uncomfortable. They probably have more confidence they could have a conversation with a bot and feel confident that that's not going to go outside that because that bot's not going to be going out and gossiping with anyone else. Now, there is concern from people who are in the game, in the industry of psychology and psychiatry. They are worried that the advice given by a bot may not be fully thought through. They may not be mm. giving it great advice to some of these patients. And some of the patients who are at risk, maybe there's not the correct flagging process to go down that path. For me, I feel like if they're getting someone to talk to, some help, just... You say someone, but yeah, part of being a psychologist or psychiatrist is the human experience of their own. Yeah, I yeah, think true. they bring that to it. Yep. Um, but, you know, as we know, AI is just developing so quickly. Mm. So, yeah, I don't want to completely write that off. Well, and that's the thing. It is a fine line. I can understand absolutely where a psychologist might be coming from saying this is all terrible because it's not getting the correct advice. I've done years of training to be able to sit down in a room with someone and have a conversation with them, and now you're leaving it to some sort of generative AI. How can that mm. possibly be of any use whatsoever? Would I be better off if I'm feeling like I need to talk to someone, would I be better off waiting a couple of months to get into a psychologist or having a conversation now with someone that may give me bad advice? It's it's mm. it's a, yeah. a fine line in terms of which way is the best way to go, but there is no doubt about it in my mind this is not going away. People mm. are going to be using these tools going forward. I suppose the pressure on the industry is to get them as good as possible That's because right. they're going to be utilised. Mm. Quite fascinating. First introduced way back in 2020, Bali 
was Samsung's little domestic robot that was set to revolutionise our homes. Back then, Bolly got a little bit of a lukewarm reception and it all but disappeared. But Samsung, Samsung are sure that they're onto a good thing here and ha- are having another shot at getting this cute little bot into people's homes as a domestic commonality. Matt, are they onto something here? Is it worth a second shot? I think it is because the world's moved on. And so you've got a device that does move around the home, so that's great. It can project things, so it can project an image onto a wall or onto Mm -hmm. a ceiling, for example. It can display various content that you might want to have displayed there. It's not transparent, I'm sorry, but (laughs) it it, it does. Working on it. Video calls, it can do a fitness video. So you could say, right, it's raining today, I want to do a fitness video. Borley, come here and project a fitness video onto the wall for me. So you've got people who are more or less accustomed to using a smart device in their home. Mm -hmm. They've got to walk to where that smart device might be sitting. Well, that seems a bit too much effort, doesn't it? Get it to come to me. I want it in the lounge room at the moment or I want it in the the front room or the bedroom or wherever it might be. So you've got people more and more used to that. Getting it to come to you, I think, makes sense. That sounds fine. You can also get them to do things like control lights, control air conditioning, the things that people are doing with home automation now. And again, that's great. So all the things that you do with a stationary device, you do with a mobile device. What are the other advantages of it being mobile? Well, you don't have a bunch of them around the home, I suppose. You can just follow you around. Mm. I actually think there's a huge potential market there for them in some sort of medical instance. Now, whether that might be someone who chooses to stay at home and I want to be in my own home, I'm comfortable there, I know I need a nurse to come visit me on a regular basis, but in the meantime, I've got Borley who can keep a bit of an eye on me so that if I do fall over and I can't get to a phone, then Borley actually makes that phone call for me or can come to me and help me out. I can even see them being used in sort of aged care facilities Mm. where they might add to the experience of people that are there so that you can't have someone a nurse in your room 24-7, but you can have Borley come in and visit various rooms and just go around and keep an eye on people. Mm-hmm. How are you going today, James? Good, thanks. Good, I'll move on. How are you going today, James? I'm in trouble. Get someone to help me, please. Sure, I'll go and get someone. So I think there's some potential uses there. I think with a lot of these things, they've got the technology, they've got it working, they've just got to find where their market is. And that's right. that market, you never know, you might stumble across that market sometimes. Well, that's it. And it just requires that creative mind to come along and say, well, listen, well, I reckon I could use one of those to do X. Yeah, that's right. You know? So Samsung's still working on home automation. Samsung's still working on their AI. This is really bringing it together. So it, it probably was ahead of its time in 2020 when it was mm. first shown off at Vegas. Too soon. Maybe, just a fraction. But 2024, maybe we've moved on a bit more and maybe people are ready to have that. I'm ready. I'm absolutely ready, actually, to have a robot around my house (laughs) doing stuff. Something that's remote and is not going to be affected by lightning strikes. That's right. It's not connected to power (laughs) permanently. Yeah, so I think there's a market there for it. They'll get better as time goes on. I don't know what the robot will look like of the future, but but I guarantee we'll have some sort of robots in our homes. Mm. And that's all we have time for today, folks. The meter has ticked over and I've run out of 20-cent coins, but that's okay because we managed to squeeze all nine stories in nonetheless. Well done, Matt. Another cracking tech talk. Well, thank you, and I've got a bit of work to do around the home now, so hopefully when you see me <laughs> next week, I'll have a home You'll that's more all, functional. All these stories about your successful projects. That's right. I'm off to see if this Bolly thing can work or meets the hype at least. Then weeks later, we can, when the novelty's worn off, uh, I can work through my impulsive purchasing regret with the help of some character.ai therapy. And that, folks, is the power of Tech Talk. 
I cannot lose, I tell you. Thanks for tuning in again, folks. I'm your host, James Eddy, and it's been a pleasure bringing you Tech Talk once again this week, as it always is. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you hit the subscribe button and maybe even bring some friends along for the next episode. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you again next time.